Hey, strangers. Welcome to another quarantine edition of The Strange Sessions. I am stir-crazy Krista, and my co-host is Cooped Up Kurt. <laughs> That's perfect. How are you doing, Kurt? I'm doing good. I got this new awesome microphone from Brian Young, so I am hoping that this works. Well, if it doesn't, we can just blame it all on him. Yeah, that's, that works for me. <laughs> oh, I need to talk to you because they want us to come on the podcast. Oh, okay. Podcast, but I'll talk Sweet. to you about that this week. So I'm doing good. I'm cooped up. But stuff <laughs> My description is, was accurate. It was. Stuff is starting to open up here, which is awesome. I think. It, it <laughs> is, but we're not ready partaking in that yet yeah oh, no. i'm not either i don't I'm... know there's restaurants open and things like that and i'm just like i don't know yeah i'm gonna wait to see how that goes for people just, before i start right. going out to places like that just because things are open doesn't mean it's safe to go there no <laughs> that's exactly. all i gotta say exactly. there are still there are still outbreaks happening um i can attest to that so yes. um yeah, but the sun is shining. That makes me happy. Yeah, we're um, on my uh, little studio in my kitchen here where I have my computer, microphone, and stuff is, like, right by the window so I can look outside, and it looks so nice. And it'll it be is. cool, like, recording here during a snowstorm because I can sit here and watch it snow while we record and yeah. not care if I have to – that I'm not going to have to drive in it. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm in my home office, and I have a, a window in here looking mm-hmm. outside, too, which is nice. nice. Um, what was I going to say? I forgot already. Oh, <laughs> I, one thing I am partaking in, though, is a haircut. I oh. am getting a haircut on Tuesday I am for the too. first time since November, too. and I'm, I'm totally psyched. I am getting a haircut, too, on Tuesday. Nice. I believe that's when Missy is opening, so I'll, I'm like one of her first people to get a haircut. So yeah, I, me too. I think I'll feel a lot better. Oh, me too. I can't wait. Yeah. I have to wear a mask, and they might check my temperature first, but I'm 100% okay with that. Yeah, exactly. My hair is getting out of control. Mine so. is, too. It's so gray. Like, the longer it gets, I realize <laughs> how gray it is. Like, I'm old. It's depressing. <laughs> oh, oh, well. we are not doing shout-outs. We're going to save shout-outs for when we get together in person. We're not sure when that's going to be, but probably in the near future. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it'll yep. be safe to go to the, the studio. Yep. So. We do have a lot of housekeeping, though. There's at least three items. So the first one I actually wrote down that we discussed yesterday on the Strange Sessions board is YouTube stuff. That one of our, our <laughs> videos has like 2,000 views. So does that that just means someone clicked on it, though? That doesn't mean they actually sat through the whole episode, no, right? No. Okay. But the fact that they clicked on it is kind yeah. of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. So a lot of the comments are good. I actually went down the comment rabbit hole. I won't do that. I will. And, I will not read YouTube comments. Well, and a cup. And I'm kind of like. I guess I just sort of turn off the emotion around it at this point because I'm just like, whatever. People are people. If they don't like it, I don't care. I mean, I really don't care. I'm so thankful for the people who do listen to it, who yes, love it. Yes. But the biggest complaints were well, two people in that episode said that. Um, we giggled through the whole episode and seemed callous about it, you know, that these two girls had gone missing. And I'm like, I don't recall the episode going that way. I'm guessing maybe they only listened to the first part, like this part, where, yeah, of course we're joking around and giggling. But I don't yeah. remember joking about their their deaths because no. that would be horrible. That doesn't seem like us. No. And um, that's the thing is that anybody that knows us knows that we're not like that. I mean, exactly. we'll we'll make jokes during the episode and stuff because that's kind of how you and I are. But we're right. not gonna do anything. I feel disrespectful. Right, I agree. Know? And then a couple of other complaints were, all right, I'm 20 minutes in and they haven't even gotten to the topic yet. Do yeah. I do I stick with it? 
And uh, I did leave a couple replies. I was like, yep, this is our format. Some people love it. Some, some don't. People, we're yep. cool with that. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> like, we're totally cool with it. Move on. I don't care. Exactly. And that uh, was the episode about Chris Kremers and Lizanne Froon. Yep. yep. And one of the people, and I think it's that Syrian Thompson, he follows us on Instagram and he's a big fan. He actually commented on it and was like, ugh. I can't believe this taste test stuff and I can't believe blah, blah, blah. And then he replied to his own comment saying, never mind. I take it all back. I love this show. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we, we converted him at some point. Yeah. So that like was we said, we're an acquired taste. And after a little while, it seems like people do acquire a taste. It's yeah. just you got to get through a couple episodes maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I, I had not visited YouTube in a while and there are a ton of comments on a lot of our episodes. So at least people are out there and engaging and you know, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So that's Just don't cool. expect us to reply because we forget about this. Stuff. Yep. <laughs> yes. We forget about everything. I would proud of myself that I actually wrote down some stuff for housekeeping. That you is know, a milestone. That is I mean, a milestone. We, we kind of unofficially have an intern now, right? But, uh, she, you know, she does more of the after show type stuff, like posting archive yeah. photos and things like that. So. Yeah. Which is awesome that she's doing that. Agreed. Um, Okay, what was number two? Number two. Oh, we didn't even mention her name. That was Heather. Oh, Heather. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Heather. <laughs> uh, number two is you mentioned the audio after our end music that we sometimes put in there, little clips. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to do after this episode is I'm going to we, – we talk about Barry a lot on the show. Barry is one of our dear friends. She is slash was in our ghost hunting group that we don't really do stuff with anymore. But Barry knows her stuff, and years and years ago, Barry and I, she was over, and we recorded like an introductory podcast episode, and this is like 11 years ago, and it's like 10 minutes long, so I am going to attach that after the music at the end, because we mention Barry all the time, and this way people can get to hear Barry, and I kind of want that to see the light of day, because we recorded that. Yeah, well, that's fun. Yeah, so listen to... Uh, you can listen to that after the end music if you want to. If you don't, that's okay. But if you want to hear the Barry that we always talk about, how much we love her, it's going to be on at the end of the episode after the music. Sweet. And one other thing is I was geocaching with Aaron this week. I thought this was weird. I was geocaching with Aaron this week. Aaron has only like listened to one episode. He wants to listen to more, but he's not very savvy technology wise <laughs> so i get it yeah so we were out <laughs> geocaching i've never told them really about some of this stuff but we were out geocaching and we're driving downtown manitowoc and all of a sudden he starts going there it is again there it is again and i'm like what and he showed me the clock and it was 11 11 and he said i've been ah. seeing 11 11s all the time lately and i've never told him that that was a thing with me so i told him about that and he's he was like really freaked out and then his daughter Courtney was with us, and then we got to talking about the Mandela effect, and Aaron had never heard of that, so now he's looking into that, and he's all freaked out about that. But it was just weird to me that he also is having the 11-11 things go on when that's something that him and I never discussed. Yeah, that is kind of crazy. I And I, I actually think it's kind of crazy you've never talked about it with him, but yeah, because, you know... It, well, it I don't talk like... about that with, you know... With the podcast people, yeah, but I'm not going to just – even people that I'm close with, I'm not going to be like, yeah, I see 11-11s all the time, and I think New Zealand <laughs> isn't where it used to be, you know? <laughs> so 
I don't bring that up a lot. Why not? Yeah. No, when I saw a creepy old guy with an arch back will crawl out of my bathroom. You know. I've surprisingly had these topics come up in meetings at work, and it's it's always a little bit funny. And I I, I share information or knowledge or whatever, and people yeah. are always kind of curious and interested. But yeah. yeah. You're right. I don't initiate it very often, no. often you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I think that's it for housekeeping. Yeah, I have a quick question. Do you by chance save the packages that people ship stuff in? I mean, that'd be a little hoarderish of you, but I just realized we never send anybody thank you cards or stickers. Or, I just found them in my backpack the other day, and I was like, we should be sending people like thank you cards and stickers but if I we don't, don't have to i don't think it's as much hoarderish as it is that i'm lazy and i just throw the envelope so somewhere planning you have on... them i probably do i probably do <laughs> we should take photos of the addresses and names maybe um yes, yes. maybe we'll get that so if you've sent us something and you provided your address hopefully we'll get a little something to you back spoiler alert it's a sticker it's something, uh, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's a really good idea. I will start looking for envelopes that I mean to throw out but have not thrown out yet. Wait. So I think on to our main story. This is okay. the one. There, I couldn't find like a decent enough picture that I wanted to put up for a teaser picture, so there's not going to be a teaser picture. I just posted this picture of my little studio here, so people aren't going to get a teaser on this one. And it was funny because on Instagram, somebody asked what it's about, and I, I couldn't remember the guy's name. The dude's name. The dude's name. The dude's name. I'm like, are we going to call him dude through the whole episode? <laughs> well, this isn't, it's not a really well-known case. I couldn't find a ton of stuff about it, but this is one of those. So it's going to be a short episode. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of short, but it's a lot of speculation. Um, okay. This is one that is kind of like Captain Coochie's Key Lime Pie was, or like Elsa Gate was where this is something that I, I stumbled across last week and just got obsessed with reading about this and thinking okay. about this. So I wanted to do an episode about it. Uh, like we said, it's true crimey. So that's why we postponed it until after the USO episode, because we had just done Tara Calico. But this one is weird. Like, there's a lot of speculation about what happened here. Like it's And like Krista would say, it's a head scratcher. Ooh, I like head scratchers. So are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. A majority of the story comes from two sources. A post two weeks ago in the Unresolved Mysteries subreddit by someone with the username, and I don't know how to pronounce this. It is the word bridge and then O-R-L. Bridge oral? Okay. Bride, bride girl? I don't know. But that's the, that's the person's username that posted this in the subreddit Unresolved Mysteries, which is a really good subreddit. And it also comes from an October 15th, 2016 post on a blog website called, quote, I did it for Jody.com. And Jody is spelled J-O-D-I-E. And the article on the blog is called, quote, Do You Know the Way to John Bonet? Anomalous Crimes and the Unsettled Death of David Glenn Lewis. So David Glenn Lewis is the subject of this episode. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. David Glenn Lewis was born in 1953 in Borger, Texas. He graduated high school in 1972 and went to Texas Tech University, where he was an honors student, graduating with a degree in political science. 
He continued on to Texas Tech University Law School and received a doctorate in jurisprudence in 1979. He then passed the bar exam and became an attorney in Amarillo, Texas, and served as a judge in the town of Dumas from 1986 to 1990. I mean, by all accounts, he was a very smart, very driven person, obviously. Mm -hmm. In 1981, he married his wife, Karen, and their only child, a daughter, was born a few years later. David was a highly regarded member of his local church, a Sunday school teacher, a member of the director's board for the Dumas Community Education Advisory Council, and a district chairman involved in the Boy Scouts of America. David was said by all who knew him to be an extremely dedicated family man, very close to his wife and daughter, close with his parents and his brother, and an active charity volunteer. I mean, he sounds like, you know... Upstanding citizen. A super upstanding citizen. Yeah, well-educated. Yes. Okay. So now we fast forward to 1993, when David is 39 years old. And all this stuff, this introductory stuff, is going to span like a period of five days. So it's kind of important to remember these five days. Okay. So this is 1993. On Thursday, January 28th, 1993... His wife and nine-year-old daughter leave their home in Amarillo and head about 400 miles away to Dallas for a ladies' weekend of shopping, leaving David to spend the upcoming Super Bowl weekend at home in Amarillo. Uh, this was Super Bowl 27, which was the Cowboys versus the Bills, and that kind of figures into it a little bit. Okay. But it was the Cowboys and the Bills. I don't, I, I'm going to get so much hate for this, but I don't know who the Bills are. Is that Buffalo? Buffalo Bills, Okay, yeah. oh God, uh, Brian Young is going to kill me because he's <laughs> from Buffalo. <laughs> Late on Sunday evening, January 31st, the night of the Super Bowl, Karen and their daughter returned home. They walked in expecting to find David there with the Super Bowl having ended just a few hours earlier, but the house is empty. They see that the VCR is still recording the channel the Super Bowl was on, and this VCR stuff becomes an important part of this. They also find what looks like two freshly made turkey sandwiches on a plate in the refrigerator, and they find David's watch and wedding ring sitting on the kitchen counter. Hmm. Nothing in the house seems disturbed or out of place, and since the VCR was still recording the Super Bowl, they assume that a friend called and asked David if he wanted to come over and watch the game, so he left to go do that. When David still isn't home the following day, Monday, February 1st, Karen calls the Amarillo Police Department and reports him missing. Hmm. On the following day, Tuesday, February 2nd, the police find David's car downtown parked outside the Potter County Court Building. Under the floor mat, they find his house and car keys. His checkbook, credit cards, and driver's license are also inside the car. This accounted for all of David's personal items, so nothing was missing except for David himself. When the police were interviewing his wife, Karen, she told them that David had told her sometime before his disappearance that he felt his life was in danger, but he didn't want to go into it with her. Uh, yeah. I'd be like, I'm sorry. That a lot of go people, into it. A lot of people in the Reddit <laughs> comments said that. What and a, a lot of people were say. really, a lot of people kind of said some crappy stuff about his wife, but oh. I, I, whatever. Uh, but, you know, you don't know. You don't know if he's kidding or if he's blowing stuff out of proportion where he says he feels his life's in danger. Right. You know, uh, I don't maybe know. he was said stuff like that all the time. You don't, yeah, yeah you don't yep. know the situation. So she believed that his disappearance had something to do with this. 
David was supposed to be in Dallas the following week for a deposition in a conflict of interest case between his former law firm and a wealthy client. David had told his father that he had no intention of covering up any wrongdoings by his former law firm and was going to, quote, tell the truth, whoever it hurts. Uh Uh-oh. Then, a little while later, the police made a baffling discovery. Two plane tickets had been purchased under David's name around the time of his disappearance. The first ticket, purchased on the 31st, the day of the Super Bowl, was a ticket from Dallas to Amarillo, which was the route his wife and daughter would be taking that day. The second ticket, purchased a day later, which was the day after the Super Bowl and the day that Karen had called the police about David being missing, was a ticket from Los Angeles International Airport to Dallas. And none of that makes sense. None of that. That's the thing about this case is that there's Mm. so much stuff that's like, what? So nobody knows what these tickets are about. The police figured that the plane tickets being purchased shows that David left of his own accord and that there wasn't any foul play. With no further evidence turning up, 11 months later, the case was closed and David's family was left with no answers. And again, that just has to be horrible. You know, you come home from, you might have to feel guilty for going shopping that weekend. You know, you come home and he's gone. There's two freshly made turkey sandwiches in the fridge. The VCR is still recording. Uh, His stuff is in his car by the court center downtown. It's so strange to think back to a time when you couldn't just text or call somebody regardless of where they were. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? This was was 1993. So, I mean, I'm assuming this was... I don't really remember. Was this around in night? Like, you know, text messages? No, absolutely not. Unless that was, I, that was probably remember. back in the day where if you wanted an S, you had to hit the button four times in order to get the S. No, I graduated high school in 1994, and I remember I got my first, my first bag cell phone. <laughs> okay. In 1995, I think, okay. when I went started going to college. And it was the kind of thing you kept under your seat and you only plugged in and used for emergencies. Mm-hmm. This was not like the time when cell phones were common and texting definitely was not a thing yet. Okay. They didn't even have screens like that. Okay, that makes sense. So, yeah, they closed the case. They said it just seemed like he up and left. Well, he, you know, he uh, just headed out. That's what they thought. Yeah, I'd be going crazy. I can just say that right now. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine what that's like. No, just being in the age that we're in now where you're used to getting instant responses from people. If, if like, my mom doesn't respond to me within a reasonable amount of time, I get worried. You know what I mean? That's how Miranda is with me because I'm really good at texting somebody back right away unless I have my phone off. But if she texts me and I don't hear it and it goes for for 20 minutes, she starts to freak out a little bit because, you know, I'm not getting younger, so I could go anytime. (laughs) But yeah, so then, you know, they figured that he dipped out and was like, deuces. Hmm. So now... It sounds like he had some things going on that could explain his decision to do that. Yes. So now we fast forward again another 10 years to the year 2003. Pat Ditter, a patrol detective from the state of Washington, was reading an article about the flaws in missing persons investigations and, in particular the flaws in the National Crime Information Center's computer system at the time. Believing that possible identities for unidentified victims may have fallen through the cracks of computer databases, Ditter went on Google and put in characteristics related to about a dozen of their John Doe cases, hoping to find a missing persons case that matched their descriptions. He then came across the missing persons entry for David Glenn Lewis. 
Seeing the photo of the missing man, Ditter realized that he looked a lot like one of their long-deceased, unidentified John Doe's. Ditter quickly got into contact with the Amarillo Police Department. He mailed them a package of items that could be tested for DNA, including the boots that his John Doe had been wearing and a tissue sample that had been preserved. David's mother provided her own DNA sample to test against that of the John Doe. In October of 2004, 11 years after he went missing, David Glenn Lewis was positively identified as the deceased man in Washington. Mm. So now we rewind 10 years back to 1993 for the story of the Washington State John Doe. At 10.30 p.m. on Monday, February 1st, 1993, 24 hours after the Super Bowl and on the same day that David's wife reported him missing, over 1,600 miles away from David's home in Amarillo, Texas, several drivers in Yakima County, Washington, spotted an individual acting strangely on Route 24 near Moxie, which is a lonely two-lane highway several miles away from the Yakima Airport. One witness claimed that the individual was laying down in the road, while another individual claims that they saw the individual walking along the center line of the road. But either way, the person was wandering around the road in a dangerous manner. Hmm. A motorist decided to turn around to drive back to the other side of the person to warn approaching motorists, but on seeing the man again, he was now laying motionless in the road. The police were called, and when they arrived, they found the man dead. The man was, of course, David over 1,600 miles away. Wow. And I guess everything that could have identified him was in his car. Yes. Okay. He had been dressed in military-style clothing and work boots. He hadn't been carrying any identification when he was killed, so his identity was unknown. A later examination found no traces of alcohol or recreational drugs in his system. Investigators believe he was the victim of an accidental hit and run on Route 24 with the potential sighting of a Camaro leaving the scene around the time of his death. And what boggles people's mind is that he was at home that the weekend, we'll get into that, but he was home the weekend of the Super Bowl. And the one day after the Super Bowl, 24 hours after the Super Bowl, he was killed on this middle-of-nowhere road in Washington State. So, remind me, could you program VCRs to take that's, something That's in what the we're going to get into. That's one okay, of the things okay. about this case. Here are some facts that are known. It is known that David was last seen alive by someone on the 30th of January, which was Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl, but where and by whom has not been revealed. But somebody saw him the day before the Super Bowl, so he was alive the day before the Super Bowl. Okay. In his hometown? We think, because okay. they never revealed where this person saw him. Hmm. Another <laughs> so fact. It could have been a thousand miles away for all we know. It could have been. Okay. But probably not. Right. Uh, another fact. There's a lot of uncertainty about their VCR. One source claims that it had no timer function, so David would have had to manually set it to start recording the Super Bowl on the 31st, which would then place him in Amarillo at the start of the Super Bowl. Since investigators believe David was home to activate the record function, it's widely thought that a timer function either wasn't present or wasn't working. And there's a lot of debate on the internet about whether or not people think that he could program the time on his VCR. But the thing is, 19, I looked this up, 1993 was the same year of the Quantum Leap finale, and I was a huge Quantum Leap fan back in the day. 
And I remember distinctly, Corey had to be home to tape it for me because mm-hmm. I had to work. So I bugged him to be like, make sure you tape Quantum Leap for me. And I, I don't remember if we lost the remote control, which you needed in order to set the time on it, or if it didn't have a timer. Corey might actually remember this better than me. I think we were missing the remote control. But in 1993, it's not necessarily a given that the VCR is going to have a timer feature on it. Right. You know, and there's a lot of stuff that people either say that the VCR was still running when his wife and daughter returned home after the Super Bowl. or That's it, the odd part, because if you yes. programmed it, it would end, right? Yes, so, yes. so they end. said it was either still running or it was up, it was popped out of where you push it in, which is still a sign that it mm-hmm. made it to the end of the tape. Right, it doesn't, right, if, you, if it were programmed, it wouldn't eject the tape when it was done. No, no. Only if it ran out of tape. Yes. And then okay. there is the thing with the two freshly made turkey sandwiches in the in the refrigerator. How do we know they were freshly made? That we was one of the big questions. Before. That was one of the big questions on the internet too. But it's also like why was that in there? You know, so like I said, there's a lot of Well, the... maybe he made it for his wife and daughter. That was one of the theories. Anticipation of them coming home so they'd That's... have something to eat. That is one of the theories. So the VCR is kind of an important thing here. Another fact, the only thing missing from David's closet was a polo sweatsuit and tennis shoes. He was found on the road in Washington wearing military-style clothing and work boots, and Karen said that David didn't have any clothing like that, and he never wore anything like that. That's weird. There are no records of any plane tickets to Washington being bought under David's name. But, and this there's a lot of debate about on Reddit, uh, about... Pre, pre-9-11 and post-9-11 flying. Like, back in the day, you could, you know, there's a lot of people that commented on there and said, back in the day, their parents used to send them to fly across the country on tickets that weren't even theirs, and nobody ever blinked an eye. Right. You know, so he could have gone with just cash and bought a ticket. But the question is, why were those other tickets bought under his name when this one wasn't? Yeah. You know? Unless, yeah, unless it was intentional. Yep. yep. As far, as far as driving, Google Maps says that today in 2020, it would be around 24 hours drive, and that's with perfect weather. Even if everything would have worked out perfectly, if he was home for the Super Bowl, he would have gotten there with only an hour or two to spare before he was found dead on the road. A Reddit user called Kelly is Ghost wrote, quote, I don't think any flights besides Seattle came and went to Yakima at the time. For a short while, there was another city, but I don't think that's in the right time frame. The dude would have had to fly from one airport to Seattle and then get a connecting flight to Yakima, which sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. You know, and another fact, by most accounts, David was blind without his thick glasses. And when he was found, his glasses were tucked into his shirt pocket and not on his face. Hmm. That could explain why he was weaving all over the road. He couldn't see anything. It could be. But this leaves us, and I think I took this directly from an article, the article or the Reddit thing. This leaves us with tons of questions. Why did David leave his home in Texas and travel over 1,600 miles to Washington? He had no known ties to the state. Was he running from a perceived threat to his life? Was he meeting someone? Did he simply want to leave his family? Did he ever intend to return? And why were his ring and watch on the kitchen counter? How did David get to Washington in the first place? Were the plane tickets bought in his name connected to these plans? If so, what is the connection to L.A.? 
Had he planned to fly home from Washington via L.A.? Why was his car still at the county court building? If it was still there, how did he leave the court building? As the author says on the I Did It For Jody blog, quote, Dallas is a six-hour drive or a one-hour flight from the Lewis home. If David purchased a ticket departing from Dallas, how did he get there? He didn't drive himself. His vehicle was left behind in downtown Amarillo. If he traveled via plane, why did he purchase his ticket to Dallas with an alias but purchase a ticket back to Amarillo under his actual name? What is the significance of the military-style clothing and work boots he was wearing when he was found? What was David referring to when he told his wife that his life was possibly in danger? Was it connected to his work? Why was David on that road before he was killed? Did he have a breakdown or other mental health issues that had led to his initial decision to leave home? Was it a suicide attempt? Was David's hit and run truly an accident or linked to the danger he believed himself to be in and who killed him? So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. (laughs) And you know, the ring and watch thing doesn't seem all that significant to me unless he never did that before. Yeah. Because maybe he was possibly going to wash dishes or something. Like I'm not somebody who wears my wedding ring a lot. Like if I'm going out in public, I put it on. That's because you're always out trawling for guys. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I mean like Jim hasn't worn one for years because he works in construction and working with like power tools and like, yeah, it's dangerous actually to wear a ring. Yeah. And I only wear mine when I go out. I come in the door and I take it off because I don't like the feeling of jewelry on my yeah. hands. But and it would maybe help. it's odd for him to do that. Like so you said, I don't it would why. help to know how he was with that. Right. Was that a routine for him? A lot of people take off their watch and their ring and put it in a certain place every night. So I don't yeah. know why that's being called out as significant. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, everything else is weird. Um, there's there's people that <laughs> there's people that say that they think that was a sign that he was leaving his wife, but. Or or he knew something bad was going to happen to him and he wanted yes. her to have his wedding ring. Yep. Yeah. So there, there's a lot of like or it means conjecture. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot <laughs> right. of conjecture. That's why I'm fascinated by this case, because it's like, what would that would be like me being 2000 miles away, 24 hours after recording this podcast? Like, what would be the chain of events? Right. You know, you would 100% tell at least me and a few other people you oh, were going definitely, somewhere. Definitely. Uh, and this is a this is kind of lengthy, but these are pasted together uh, comments on Reddit by someone named Mimi on the Bayou. She said, "Quote: I personally knew David, Karen, and their daughter, and spent a lot of time talking to her after he disappeared." When the information from Washington came out, I mapped a trip from Amarillo to Yakima, Washington. It would have taken 23 hours of straight driving to make that trip. He manually started the VCR about 5.15 when the football players came out onto the field. The sandwich in the refrigerator, Karen believed he made it to eat at halftime. The window Mm -hmm. of time between the start of Super Bowl Sunday evening and being found around 10 p.m. Monday night is only four to six hours plus drive time. He was an attorney, always dressed nice, even when he was dressed casually, yet he was found wearing well-worn army surplus-type clothing. I will always believe that there was foul play involved. At the time, I remember a lot of people saying that he walked away from his wife, but I've never believed it. If you knew David, he loved his family. He would not have left them. A month or so before he disappeared, we saw them at the Cattle Baron's Ball, and we played blackjack at the same table, and all he could talk about was his daughter. 
I believe he was at home and set the VCR manually because the TV guide had the game starting at 5 p.m. The national anthem and coin flip happened about five, a little bit after the 5 p.m. start time. The VCR tape started when the players ran out onto the field to get in position for the first play. The tape runs for about six hours. The length of the tape then stops. Karen's flight landed around 10.50 p.m. I had taken that flight quite a few times myself. And by the time you get your luggage and car, drive home from the airport, it's about 11.30 or a quarter to midnight. They lived a similar distance from the airport as I did at the time. When she arrived home, the lights were on, the TV was on, and the VCR tape had ejected itself. She thought he had gone to the office or he had an appointment in town. The next morning, she was alarmed and called his parents, who also lived in the panhandle. They had not seen or heard from him either. She later called the police to report him missing. I spent a lot of time with Karen after he disappeared. She was lost and so sad. The hardest part was that so many people believed he ran off on his own. Only her close friends knew that he would not do that. Karen was lost and confused, and she never really told me what she believed. I would ask her questions about what the police were telling her, which was basically, we have no proof, but we are positive he just ran off with another woman. I felt that was very callous. She seemed kind of numb for a long time, and then a couple of years later, she moved to start over with her daughter. I 100% think the cops know more. I talked to Karen a lot on the phone. A few months after he disappeared, I was talking to her and was really frustrated with the police handling the case. I had gone from thinking that they are idiots to thinking that there was a reason why they did not want to solve it. I remember telling her I felt the police were either involved or at the least covering it up. I wasn't thinking about the phone being tapped. The next day, the next day, months after he disappeared, the lead detective called me. Coincidence? He tried hard to sell me on the other woman angle. I asked him questions and he gave stupid answers. It was honestly a little spooky. My husband said, I think you should leave this alone. Hmm. A law firm he worked at right after he got out of law school was being sued by a rich client and David was supposed to give a deposition later that week. He had made it known that he would testify truthfully and was known as someone who always took the moral high ground. After he left that law firm, he was an elected judge in Dumas. Judges are not popular with everyone, especially those who go to prison. The problem was the Amarillo Police Department pushed the theory that he left on his own accord and never really looked into foul play. I talked to one of the detectives, and I felt he was trying to convince me he ran off with another woman. I told him I would never believe that. Eleven years later, after the DNA results came back, the fact that he was killed by a hit-and-run driver about 24 hours after he disappeared and ended up in Yakima, Washington, which is about 24 hours away from Amarillo, he wasn't with another woman, but by then, 11 years had passed. Mm. So that's what she said. Right. So now we get to another post that got tons of likes and it was really cool that she did it it's by a user whose username is granny panties 75 she she scoured the newspapers of the place and she found an article about this and it was on a pay site newspapers.com which is a pay site and it's really annoying because it always comes up for us in the trivia contest but none of us have accounts to read the newspaper stuff so she actually posted an image of the article so we could read it, which was really cool. I should actually post that in the strangers once I do this. Yeah. Article. But her Reddit granny panty 75s Reddit post says, quote, there's an interesting article in the Del Rio news Herald dated June 27th, 1993. It has a timeline that summarizes David's activities starting on Thursday. It says that David left Buckner, Lara, and Swindle law firm about noon on January 28th, Thursday, 
stating to co-workers that he felt ill and was going home. He bought gas by credit card, and he taught a government class at Amarillo College that night until 10 p.m. Friday, a church friend from Dumas said that she thought she saw him hurrying through the Southwest Airlines terminal, terminal at Amarillo's airport. He had no luggage. And that's odd. Yeah, that is odd. It, it, it would suggest he's meeting somebody yeah, there. Yeah. A police officer also noticed a red Ford Explorer at 10.30 p.m. parked outside the Potter County Courts building. And that's on Friday. Okay. Which is a late time to be parked outside the Potter County Courts building, 10.30 p.m. Saturday, it seems like someone deposited $5,000 in the Lewis's bank account. And also on Saturday, a neighbor saw his red Explorer parked at home, and the one that had been parked downtown was no longer there. So that had to be David's car, or that had to be David's Explorer that was parked down at the county court building on Friday, but then was back at their home on Saturday. So he had to be home on Saturday. Is this a small town? Amarillo? No, Amarillo is a pretty big town. So there's not more than one red. <laughs> yeah, but what are the odds that that one that was parked there and then his, he also had a red one that was parked there that they found all of his identification in. Yeah. You know. I'm just saying, devil's advocate. Sunday, and this one puzzles me. Sunday, a sheriff's Sunday, the day of the Super Bowl, a sheriff's deputy noticed a man who looked like Lewis standing across the street from the courts building photographing a red explorer parked out front. Maybe he was going to sell it. That's possible. I didn't even think of that. But it's weird that somebody that looks like him is out taking a photograph of the Red Explorer. Parked, if it's his own car, parked especially. Out, parked outside the courts building. Hmm. And then also on Sunday, someone tapes the Super Bowl on the Lewis's VCR. Mrs. Lewis and their daughter return home and notice laundry in the dryer and two freshly made turkey sandwiches in the fridge. She assumed he was working late. This is the only place I saw that they said that there was laundry in the dryer. Hmm. A Dallas cab driver says... Wait, he was the dryer still going? Or I don't was... know. I don't know. That's all the article says is that they, she noticed laundry in the dryer. Okay. A Dallas cab driver said he drove a man matching... Matching... Drove a man matching Lewis's descriptions from a hotel to Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport on February 1st, which was the day after the Super Bowl. The man seemed nervous and fumbled to pay him from a wad of $100 bills. Weird. Mm -hmm. police, police soon find the Explorer at the court building with his keys under the floor mat and a checkbook, driver's license, and two gas credit cards in the car. The article also stated that his wife says the only clothing missing from the house was a pair of green sweatpants. I'll be honest. If if someone said what clothes are missing from your husband's, yeah. I'd have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a t-shirt? I don't know. <laughs> That's really observant. She said the article also outlines two cases he was involved in where someone may have wished him harm. The first was a lawsuit by a murder convict against his former father-in-law that was eventually withdrawn. Lewis represented the father-in-law who felt that the murder convict lacked the money and influence to arrange a murder from prison. The other case was the one that he was about to be deposed in that was a $3 million lawsuit against Lewis, several other lawyers from a law firm he used to work at, and an engine additive promoter that Lewis represented. But his attorney could see no motive because no one would benefit from the Lewis disappearance as it was covered by insurance. 
Mm. You know, so if both of those don't sound like something that you would have someone killed over. No, and the the I don't know. It, it sounds like this was kind of sophisticated. If this was some kind of a you know, like if somebody went through the trouble of yeah. going to his house and starting the VCR, and yes. I don't know. Yeah. To me, I don't see the convict in in jail organizing this. So a couple more comments from Reddit before we get into theories and ideas because I don't really know what I think. Lots of head scratching. Yes. Wow. Um, Reddit user NorCal Runs says, quote, the place where he was hit, it's right outside a U.S. military training center, the Yakima Training Center, 327,000 acres of training bushland. It's referred to internally as Yakistan because they do live training there just like in wars. To me, it's obvious he was involved in some sort of military situation to end up on foot near that location, and it's fascinating that they left this part out. Reddit user Miss Kim said, quote, The area where he was found in Moxie isn't really somewhere that people would walk. Back then, it was almost all big farms. Also, how did he get to Yakima? It doesn't sound like he drove, and to get to the Yakima airport, which is really small, you have to fly into Portland or Seattle and then take a very small plane over there. And Reddit user, is it the weekend yet, says, Highway 24 is dark and not well lit. Speed limit is 54, but people are often going 60 to 65. During that time of year, it was most likely very cold and icy or snowy on that road. My source, me, I drive that highway to work daily in Moxie, which is true. This is February in Washington, so that's right. you're not going to be out wandering <laughs> this secluded highway. Right. You know, so that's basically what we know. Huh. And it's just, <laughs> I don't get it. I don't, I don't. Nothing, nothing. I mean, all I can say is I feel like there was foul play involved or he had some kind of mental break. Yeah. So we Because there's no logical reason no. for how he ended up there. <laughs> In Washington, no. I have five theories. Ooh, five. How many well, sub theories do you have? I don't really have any because we just talked. <laughs> I figured we would just talk about these and brainstorm okay. because I don't know. Uh, All right. Let's I, start, solve I, I start from the the most <laughs> unlikely to the most likely. Okay. Theory number one: it was a Big mis foot? it was a missing four one one type situation, or it involved parallel universes. I don't. Oh. I don't. Okay. You know the missing. <laughs> I think 411... my Bigfoot is more <laughs> is more likely. <laughs> I picked him up in Texas and carried him to Washington. Yeah, I don't know. But I could a missing 411 type situation kind of makes sense because all of a sudden you're in Texas and all of a sudden you're in Washington, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. But there's sure. not there's not a lot of of tie-ins other than that. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't really buy anything paranormal about this. I'm spitballing at that point, but okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't missing. I love missing 411, but I don't think this has anything to do with missing 411. No, I don't think so either. It's not the same circumstances or, yeah. Theory number two, he was a serial killer and was going out of state for his victims. Ooh. I know that was kind of a... Okay. Huh. But <laughs> seriously, are you going to do mm. that and plan on getting back home? I mean, by the time that he was hit, his wife was already home because he was he, he was killed the very day that his wife reported him missing. So something must have really badly went awry with his serial killing, you know, but hmm. it's something to... It's to... weird how I, I love this this theory, but yeah. I, I know, know, I do too. I do too, because he, it's was, a he was wearing nothing that he would regularly wear. He didn't have his glasses on. They were tucked in his pocket in case somebody, you know, nobody could 
place him. But it is a stretch. But, I mean, this happens. There's serial killers that lead perfectly, oh, yeah. like, like Dennis Rader, leads perfectly normal family life. Right. And, and is a serial are killer. Completely unaware. So the, I, once I saw that somebody suggested this on the on the on Reddit, I was like, huh, you know, that's kind of kind of an interesting theory, but mm-hmm. I'm not really buying it. I guess. I don't know. No, it just yeah, I don't know. That to me, that's just like spitballing again. I don't see any evidence that would point to that. No. Uh, theory number three: It was a psychotic break. Reddit user Boopsky says, "Quote." As a clinical psychologist, my mind goes to a case of disassociative amnesia with a fugue state. This case has so many similarities with other well-known cases of a dissociative fugue. And these reports of his behavior are very indicative that he left of his own accord and the discarding of items of his identity, as well as the bizarre, confused behavior of walking recklessly or lying on a freeway in a faraway state, are major flags of a fugue state. Hmm. I just I can't see I, that. I, I can't. I, I don't think I I feel like psychotic break is an easy out. I think that it can get used for so many things. And I could see I don't know. I could see I having some kind ex- of of meltdown, but I can't see you using an assumed name to to get on a plane and fly 1600 miles across the country and wander a road. Like I think if there were paranoia involved, though. The only para, the only signs of really anything paranoia related are him saying that he thought that his life was in danger. So I guess it's possible. Well, but I think buying a, a plane ticket under an assumed name, you're trying to conceal your identity and fear that somebody will, you know, That's true. find out where you went. That's very true. Buying tickets in cash is the same thing. I don't know. I I can see it. I think. Um, mental illness leads to erratic behavior. But I don't think he had any signs of mental, at least nothing that I saw showed that he had any signs of mental illness before this happened. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't rule it out. I I don't rule it out, but I just have a hard time with psychotic break in this one. I really do. Theory number four, he was planning on leaving his wife and daughter or he had a second secret family in Washington. It happens. <laughs> it, it does happen. And and the thing is that when he disappeared, when this happened, he was 39 years old. Maybe it was some kind of midlife crisis thing. He was going to be turning 40 and turning 40s. No picnic, you know. Mm-hmm. So is it possible? But you would think if he had this second secret family, they would have reported him missing or. or they would have come forward at some point. At some point. I don't. I, you know, and, and yeah, there's there's countless numbers of cases of somebody being oh he's such a family man he's such a family man he's such a family man and he's it doesn't mean he didn't love his current family no you can you have know. two families and love them both yeah or you can love your family and still want to screw right. around you know but did he go all the way to washington to screw around i don't know yeah i don't, I don't know. know theory number five my last one he was murdered and that's kind of a big one yeah. David's father, Herschel, said in an article in the Amarillo Globe News, quote, they would have had to fly him over to Yakima. They would have had to drug him or chain him. I think it was force. So his wife, his, his father, think that it was foul play. They all do. And one thing that I feel ties kind of into this is what better time to abduct someone in Texas than when the Dallas Cowboys are in the Super Bowl? Because you figure everybody's going to be home watching the game, so the streets would be relatively empty. Mm-hmm. 
And a, a thing that comes up in the article is that there was a lot of animosity between his wife and the lead investigator of this case. And his the article went out of their way to state that his wife refused to take a polygraph exam. So there are some people that speculate that she had him murdered and that they knew they were going to, that's why her and her daughter went out of town that day mm. claimed mm. it was a lady shopping trip, but she knew that he was going to get murdered. But, but you know, and, and uh, Reddit user Trojan made this little timeline of what he thought happened. It said he made himself a halftime sandwich, started taping the game. Someone knocked on the door. David opens the door where person X draws a weapon. He commands David to take off his watch and ring, making it harder to identify him later on. Person X forces David to get into David's own car. Because of the Super Bowl, chances are very, very low that someone notices the abduction. He has David drive to a rendezvous point where they meet person Y in a car. David leaves all his personal belongings in his car to prevent identification. Person X and Y take turns driving David to Washington. David has to change into military-style clothing to look like a drifter. X and Y throw him from the car that run him over, then call the police that there is someone in the middle of the road. And, you know, so many people say that if you're going to kill somebody, why take them, you know, maybe somebody said get, take them out of the area. But you could take them to the next state. You don't have to take them <laughs> 1,600 miles away. We're just out in the woods somewhere. I and, don't know. And and then what's, you know, people say that even with the driving, that you're not going to have perfect weather the whole way in February, that you're going to have snowstorms, you're going to have ice on the road. They said people believe that there's no way that they could have driven to that point in that amount of time. So everybody says they would have had to fly. So then you run into the problem, are these thugs bringing this doped up guy on a airline flight or do they have somebody that has a cargo plane or something like that you know so there's there's so many things about the murder theory that don't make sense to me so yeah i agree i have another theory oh let's hear it <laughs> so he he had said that he felt like he was in danger yes Let, let's say that that was true and whoever was potentially threatening him threatened his family that is one of the big theories, is that somebody said, if you do not do this, we're going to kill your family. That is one of the prevailing theories about, yeah, the, so about the murder my, thing. My thought is that he decided, in order to save my family, I'm going to disappear. And everything he started doing in the days leading up to that was him preparing to disappear. I mean, I, even, I still go back to him being seen taking a photo of his own truck. You only do that if you're going to sell it. I mean, who stands around taking photos of their truck? Maybe he was going to sell his truck and then nobody would be able to find it. And he was buying these plane tickets. And I don't know that I feel like that's a plausible option, at least that but the, the, he felt like in order to save his family for whatever was going on, he why, decided to disappear. But why would he be? Why would he sell his truck? Why was I don't understand that taking pictures of your own truck. To post them. But in why an would you why would you do that at the court building? Why wouldn't you do that at home in your driveway? It was like he was taking pictures at the court building for some specific purpose. Well, it could be just like him panicking. I mean, maybe you know something happened in that moment. And he's like, okay, I got to sell my jeep. But he 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 was a lawyer. He was probably at the courthouse a lot. 
but why was he panicking about selling his Jeep? I mean, he was... Maybe he needed money. Maybe he needed money really quickly and wanted a cash transaction. Did he know at the time that he was going to go to Washington? Maybe. He could have. I don't know. And what was with somebody reporting seeing him in the airport on that Thursday, going running through like going through the airport quickly without luggage? Was it Thursday yeah. or Friday? It I was, thought it was Saturday. Um, I thought it was Saturday, but I could be wrong. It was. No, it was Friday. A church friend Friday. from Dumas said she saw him hurrying through the Southwest Airline terminal at Amarillo's airport. He had no luggage. Saturday was the day that somebody deposited $5,000 into Lewis bank account uh, and a neighbor saw his red Explorer parked at home. So it's believed that he was at least home Saturday because his, his Explorer was at home on Saturday. The same Explorer that was left at the county court building was home on Saturday. So he was, unless, and there's people that theorize that these people that, that these people that killed him made it look like he was home. Yeah. But, I mean, that's definitely possible. Uh, yeah, but I can't see some thugs making turkey sandwiches to put them in the fridge. You know, I don't, why would they go through all that trouble? I don't know. Yeah, there's just, there's no one explanation that makes total sense. No, there there's, isn't. And that's, that's why I find this so fascinating is because I can't, I don't know. I mean, there's crazy theories that I didn't even put into theories. Like somebody said it's possible he had a twin brother he didn't know about. An oh, identical geez. twin brother. <laughs> You know, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's possible, but I honestly. And that's who was found dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, where is he then? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I know. Don't, I don't like that theory. But I mean, every every one of every theory, every potential theory has something that doesn't make sense about it. Right. You know, yeah. like I don't. I honestly, that's why I became so fascinated with this because it just doesn't make sense. You know, and granted, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but it's just why the military clothing? I don't understand that. And you said if, there if was you're a the... military base nearby. Yes. Hmm. And if you're gonna kidnap this guy and kill him, why are you gonna put him in in military fatigues or worn out military clothing? That makes no sense. <laughs> Some people speculate maybe it was his Boy Scout uniform that he was doing something Boy Scouty, but it's like. <laughs> It's why would he not have left a note or told his wife and what's, you know, other people speculate right. that these other tickets that were purchased by a David Glenn Lewis were maybe by another David Lewis. But, you know, and I don't, why is there a ticket from Dallas to Amarillo on that Sunday when his wife and daughter were going to be doing the same trip? So maybe some people think that maybe he planned on flying out there or to, drive, surprise them. to surprise them and come back. I don't know. I don't know, but that's basically what I have. Like I, I feel said, so bad for his family. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have closure in that they can stop looking for him. They know what you know. They know that he's no longer alive, and but they can I, stop I can't that imagine hope. not knowing what the right. cha- chain of events was that led for this to happen. Like there could be somebody out there that did this to him that that's just walking around free. Let, we'll just get to the what do you think because that's that's really that's really all I have for this one because like I said there's not much to it but there's so much to make you think to make you question what what the hell happened yeah I don't know my so, answer is uh. <laughs> no it, it, to me I'm leaning towards foul play for sure 
See, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm leaning towards he left of his own accord for some reason. But, but I, I can't but figure I out why. I think that could involve foul play, though. I could, I could see him being threatened in some way, you know? Well, if they threaten his family and said, either you come with us or we'll kill your family. People right. said that that's an option. Yeah. But, but then why did they make him wear these other clothes? And why, I, why, if you're going to kill him, you're in this middle of nowhere area. If you're going to kill him, why do this bizarre thing of maybe kicking him out of the car and then running him over to make it look like a hit and run? But right. you could have just buried him somewhere and, it, and there wouldn't even be a body. Right. And it sounds like there's nothing around that area. You could have, if you wanted to kill him, Texas is huge. I've driven through Texas. You could oh, drive, yeah. you could drive halfway across the state, bury him. Nobody's ever going to find him. So right. why do you have to do this elaborate thing? Drive him up to, or fly or drive him up to Washington State. Throw him on a highway where people are going to see him walking or laying in the road, and then wait for those people to leave and then run him over. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't make sense. I think I my opinion is he left of his own accord, but I don't know why. Because if he's wearing these fatigues and boots, it's almost like he's trying to hide his real identity. But Mm -hmm. why? I mean, that doesn't sound like something you're going to do if you're cheating. I don't know. (laughs) I just don't know about this one. I've I've seriously been thinking about this all the time. Like I I. This is one of those ones that I wish I had an answer to what happened because this drives me crazy not being able – there's so many pieces to this, but none of these pieces fit together to make a puzzle. You know, Do you remember the story of that guy? I think he was skiing. Yeah. And he suffered a head injury yes. and disappeared and was found like across the country. Yes. And there was this big mystery of how he even got out. This kind of reminds me of that just a little bit. Obviously, we know what happened to that guy. But but it feels to me like there was stuff going on before this happened. Like people, that person seeing him in the airport on that Thursday. Like there was something going on. Yeah, and back then you could go to airport terminals without having a ticket or having to go through. Yeah. You can't do that now. Yeah, yeah there's a lot but of that. That in tells this... me he was somebody was flying in and he was meeting them. There's a lot of that in this Reddit thread where people are, you know, people say there's no way that you could fly without traces of you flying, and and you know somebody else is like, no, you're obviously young because pre 9/11 you could fly. You could. And you yeah. know, then they say, okay, boomer, uh, all that stuff, you know. So <laughs> it's it's. On, the, on that, in that Reddit group, people that weren't around in those days don't know that you could just go right up to the terminal. You could do everything. You know, you could go in, hand them a bunch of money, and then get a ticket and fly with no traces that you did it. Mm-hmm. You know, but then yeah. people are saying if he did this under a different – or if he did this, why did he purchase those other two tickets under his actual name when this one he didn't? I don't know. I just feel like everything – like him taking a picture of his car there – all this stuff leads me to think that this was planned by him, mm-hmm. but I cannot figure out why it was planned by him. So that day that he was seen in the airport, does that ticket that he bought under a different name coincide with that? No, because he was seen uh, a friend on Friday, a church friend from Dumas said she saw him hurrying through the Southwest Airlines terminal at Amarillo's airport and he had no luggage. And then we get up to the tickets that were bought, and... Because maybe if there was another woman, and he f- bought a ticket for her under a different name, and she flew in, and he met her at the airport. 
That's that could make sense. Possible. The first ticket was purchased on the 31st, the day of the Super Bowl, and it was a ticket from Dallas to Amarillo, which makes no sense then. This was purchased on the day of the Super Bowl, was a ticket from Dallas to Amarillo, and the second ticket was purchased the day after, which was the day she reported him missing, and that was a ticket from the Los Angeles International Airport to Dallas. So obviously the day she reported him missing, if he's the one that ordered this ticket... Yeah, that doesn't make sense. But that was the day that he was found dead. The day that, he, you know, he ordered the ticket from Los Angeles International Airport. Dallas was the day that he was killed at 10.30 p.m. In Washington. In Washington. So, <laughs> like, no sense. like I said, this is just, I don't know. I I, I did not think we were going to come up with any no, sort of conclusion. No. But I think he did this of his own accord. Like, there's so much stuff that, but then, I don't know. Why... Why go? Th- why make the two turkey sandwiches? You know, I I don't get it. Yeah, what, it's what like were those? it's like he was he watching. was interrupted. Yes, it was like he was sitting down to watch. But then, why was he recording the Super Bowl too? You know, if he was gonna watch it, I don't know. That this... could be someone else setting the stage to make it look like he, he was home and everything was normal. You know, it would it would it would that, yeah, mean that... that when she got home. She wouldn't call the police right away because, oh, he's just been here. Oh, he made some sandwiches. He's, he recorded the Super Bowl. Well, I'm yeah, not too worried how much yet. time is that going to – it's only going to buy you – when he's not back that night or the next morning, you're going to call the cops. So that's only going to buy you how many hours? It did buy him some time, though. Yeah, I mean, but... she didn't call until the next day. That just sounds like so much trouble to go through to go to Not the house. Really. To, That's to pretty put a, normal. To put you a made tape. a couple sandwiches and, and if, they, if they didn't know how to set his timer on his VCR, they could have just popped a tape in and hit record, I guess. Right. Or he could have set this stage. He could have done all of that on purpose so that she wouldn't be suspicious right away. Yeah. Give him a head start. He but wanted then what a head was he doing? Himself. What was he doing? Yeah, I don't know. That's the question we're never going to have an answer like, to. The, I don't the, think. the military clothing and work boots just puzzles me almost more than anything it's like why was he wearing that you know yeah (laughs) i mean you can buy that sort of thing at a thrift store you can and somebody i didn't put it in here but somebody said there is like a military uh, surplus store near there but still he would have had to get he would have had to fly into a major airport like portland or seattle to get on a very small plane to go to yakima you know, it just like where he was it found. Make sense. Nothing about this makes sense. That's why this no. is so interesting. Yeah. You know, and like you said, I feel sorry for her, and, and especially to hear people think that you had something to do with it. Yeah, that would be really hard, and the police you know, but, not. But any time that you caring. deny a polygraph test, you're good. A little guilty. odd. That's odd. Yeah, it's a little odd. I mean, even if you're insulted by the request, do it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. I'd be offended, <laughs> but so, I'd do it. <laughs> so that is the case of David Glenn Lewis. What do you think of that? Head scratcher. I mean, <laughs> head scratcher. I just can't. This is one of the biggest head scratchers I feel like, like we've done. Nothing makes sense. No, and nothing there's, makes there's sense. valid theories, but I feel like there's something for every theory that doesn't that fit. That makes you cross it off the list. Yes. So, like I said, that this is I, I stumbled across it. I go to that unresolved mysteries Reddit quite often, and this actually was posted like two weeks ago. So I actually got sucked into this. And like I said, there's just not a ton about this online. 
but it's just such a fascinating case. I don't mm-hmm. know, but mm-hmm. I am going to go with that for some reason he did this of his own accord. And I don't understand why, because none of the rest of it makes sense. Right. And you think it was foul play. Well, but I do agree that he probably did a lot of this of his own accord. I just don't, I think there was probably something, some foul play involved that, you know, motivated him to do these things. Yeah. I don't know. I don't Maybe know. a former client, you know, I mean, it, you know. He was a judge. He was a, a judge. So it, it's not out of the no, not realm for someone to want to kill a judge. Absolutely you not. Know? But then other people say like the stuff with the law firm having him killed sounds too much like a Grisham novel. Yeah, there you was know? a show like that. Yeah. And there's just like nothing that was really there that would warrant this. Although they would know how to cover it up. <laughs> yeah, they would. They would. So, and that, but, you know, like where his car was parked, these tickets, what he was wearing, the stuff at home, none of this adds up. And that's why I find this both maddening and just super interesting. Well, and what's what's frustrating is that the real explanation for what happened is probably something nobody's ever going to think of yeah. because it was just the weirdest, perfect Ch- chain of, of events. events. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Like I it said, it could have been completely innocent. This whole thing could have been completely innocent and just a chain of really unfortunate accidents that got him to where he that's was. That's why I think about this. Sitting here at my kitchen table now, doing this. If I'm two thousand miles away, one day from now, there'd have to be some seriously crazy chain of events. Right. That, that would lead to that. Yeah. So I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm fascinated by this case. This is one of the ones that I really like because it's just so puzzling. Yeah, you know I love a good head-scratcher, but it's also very frustrating. So I am going to end this with something that actually made me laugh. This was posted on Reddit by the username PM me your sweet ass. (laughs) And he said, quote, this is an open and shut case. This man was clearly killed for not getting the express written consent of the NFL to record the Super Bowl. <laughs> which, which actually made me laugh a lot when I heard it. You can't it. even say Super Bowl like on TV or on the radio. Yeah, so yeah. are we going to get in trouble now because we just said the Super Bowl like oh, 100 God. times? We're going to get sued. Mm-hmm. We are going to get sued. So there you go. That is the case of David Glenn Lewis. And oh. I, I love this one. I really do. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Strangers, let us know. Let her rip. We want to know your theories. (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) yes, definitely let her rip. Because I'm, is there something that we're not thinking of? Or is there, is there a two and two that Krista and I aren't putting together to equal four? I don't know. But I, my mind has been going around and around and around with this because I got kind of obsessed with this. So I don't know. Let us know what you think. Yeah, that's a good one. I think that's all we have. Are we going to yeah. do another episode from home next week? We could. Okay. I'll find another smaller one that I really like. And then maybe after that, let's look at going to the school. Okay. So. And I, I uh, geez, spit it out, Krista. Use your word. <laughs> I, um, the post on Instagram got a lot of good comments about how we were recording a second week in a row. And Logan B said, well, at least something good came out of the quarantine. Oh, I love Logan. <laughs> or something Logan to is, that yeah, effect. Yeah. Logan is awesome. Yeah. But I mean, this is right now not having a job and not driving to get together makes us kind of easy to do this weekly. Mm-hmm. You know, I have every morning when I can do research. So, well, it's a less of an interruption to my work schedule, not having yes. to drive to the studio. Yes. So it's actually working out pretty good for me too. But I also don't want to do this all the time because I prefer us getting together in person. 
Yeah. You know, I feel like it's better and I get to see you and I miss you. So I miss you too. So and the we'll, sound quality is better yes, and just like yes. we're not accidentally talking over each other all the but time. I love the fact <laughs> that we have this now. So we do Me not too. have to worry about snowstorms. Even if yeah. I'm sick, there's no reason I couldn't do this from home being sick. Right. You know, so this is going to prevent interruptions that we're going to be like, sorry, guys, not going to get together this week. So we should mm-hmm. be OK. I think um, so. Unless I disappear and end up dead in Washington. That's the only thing I can think of. Or you forget to pay your Internet or something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think that is it for today. Sweet. So you I love give this. Our deets? Oh, I do. I didn't think I had them, but I do. You can email us at thestrangesessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the final S. Krista does a great job on Instagram at the Strange Sessions. And you can send us postcards and snail mail to the Strange Sessions, P.O. Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221-0434. Or you can call our lonely little hotline at 920 920- Four four three ninety six zero two. And like I said, uh, if you stay tuned until after the end music, I will tag that little 10-minute podcast thing that Barry and I did. And I'm just glad it's going to get out there and see yeah. the light of day. That's a good idea. Because her and I talked about doing what you and I are doing like yeah. 11 years ago. Yeah. You know, so. I love I, it. I sound so, I listen to it. I sound so different. I don't know if I was younger or younger. <laughs> still still had hope for my life. I don't know. I well, just were sounded... you using um, like just handheld recorders? We were us- we were on my desktop computer using oh, okay. one of those cheap just one microphone and both her and I talking into the one microphone, and it doesn't sound horrible. So, no, I remember listening to yeah. it. I thought it was, it was not bad. Yeah, so oh, we wow. will. I will put that on after the end music, so give it a listen. It's definitely interesting, and it's good to listen to, and we miss Barry. We love yeah, her. Yeah, we do. Still want to get her on the podcast one day. That'd be awesome. So I think that is it. So are we going to flub our... Of course we are. I'm going to do are. it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> By now it's a thing. So from Krista and I, from our respective homes, until next time... Stay strange. strange. I knew you were going to blow it on purpose. It wasn't bad. (laughs) It wasn't bad. Bye, guys. Bye. And I'm Kurt from HPI. We are a paranormal research group based out of Wisconsin, and today we're doing this radio show to let you know a little bit about ourselves and what we hope to accomplish with this podcast in the future. We've been together for about a year as a group, but independently, I've been researching for about 15 years. I started as kind of 
the thrill seeker. I was the kid around the campfire that always stayed up late to collect everybody's ghost stories. And then I started kind of seeking out the urban legends and stuff for myself. And I realized that I wanted to start putting together all of my experiences and gathering those of other people. And from there, it just kind of progressed into scientific investigations of supposedly haunted places. And now I'm working with different groups to try to formalize that and make it more of a science and less of a hobby. So, Kurt, how did you get into investigating? Um, I've been interested in the paranormal my whole life, and I think, like a lot of people in this field, when I was a child, I had some paranormal experiences that kind of made me question what happened and why it was happening, and I just naturally, for the rest of my life, I was just naturally interested in it. And then a couple years ago, I came across a message board on the internet where somebody was looking to start a ghost hunting group in our area, so I met up with them and went from there. All right. And with this radio show, um, we don't pretend to be experts. We're not representing a group of experts. Rather than give answers, this show is kind of about questions. Mm -hmm. um, we both came from a background of questions, and we continue to, anytime we think we find an answer, end up with more questions. I think that's fair to say. Yes. And so we really hope to um, bring forward some topics and make you think about it. Maybe question the theories that you believe. Maybe make you think about the things that you have already thrown out that you don't believe, and in doing so, learn more about ourselves and, and what we believe and what we don't believe and why. Yeah. Anybody in this field who calls himself an expert or who believes they have all the answers are simply wrong. Wrong, yeah. There are no answers. We've talked about it before. Um, there are some very real hard sciences that sometimes people like to debate or exclude from the idea of paranormal study. Um, and maybe we can even give background of that in our further shows, that there are some real core sciences that this can be built on and that theories can be hung upon. But for the most part, people are making inferences. If this is true, then this would be the cause. And I think it's really important, especially because ghost hunting is kind of um, undergoing a popularity explosion right now, um, to remind people that all we have are theories. There are no experts. If somebody says it on TV, it doesn't make it true. If Somebody tells you on a radio show, it doesn't make it true, it doesn't make it not true. Really, whether you're a hobbyist or you want to be a parapsychologist or you research or you don't, you just like to listen to the radio shows, um, the big thing is to figure out what you believe in and why. Not and just and don't let anybody tell you what you should believe in or what you shouldn't believe in. Yes. I mean, our group, we don't have anybody in our group who claims to be a psychic. And although we don't have anybody in our group like that, there are groups that have had good results with psychics. It's it's a matter of what works for you, and just don't let anybody tell you what should or what shouldn't work for you. And I think it's important to know why it works for you. Um, it doesn't matter if you have a million dollars worth of equipment and you get out in the field and you don't know how to use it or you don't understand why you're using it. And so many times it happens. People see the hot gadgets that are out there. I need a digital voice recorder. I need an EMF meter. Um, what else? Night shot cameras. You know, you have all this equipment, but really your data is only as good as you are, as well as you understand it. Mm -hmm. Why are you using it? What does it tell you about the situation? You know, there's no such thing as a ghost detector. There's no such thing as, you know, anything that gives hard evidence. It's all in how you interpret it. And so if you're not even sure how you're presenting it or how you're interpreting it, um, it's really not worth anything. No. And along with that, another thing that you have to keep in mind is that one of the necessities for doing this is keeping an open mind. Because if you go into a place with your mindset on debunking everything, you could miss something that 
is actual evidence of a haunting. And opposite of that, don't go into a place convinced it's haunted and not accept any possible scientific evidence for what's occurring. You have to keep an open mind in this field, and that's something that some groups don't do. And part of keeping an open mind, I think, is identifying why are you in it. Are you a hobbyist? Is this kind of a fun way to fill the hours? Maybe you like to travel, so you you know pick up the weird travel books and go to different places and snap pictures. Do you do this because you've lost someone and you need proof of the afterlife? Maybe you want proof that there is no afterlife. You know, it's really important to identify why you're in it yourself. As Kurt spoke to, he had personal experiences as a child that left him with questions. You know, and while I don't think you go to an investigation expecting to have those answers handed to you, do you feel like you've you've gained some perspective yes, on it? Yes, very much. Maybe seeing other people who are currently in that situation or... Yeah, you know, when you go to a residence where there's a child there who is experiencing things that are very similar to to what happened to you when you were a child, you know, it, it opens your eyes. Well, and yeah, and you didn't have a paranormal investigation team to come into your house and talk to you about it, is that correct? That is correct. I'm so there's definitely kind of a service aspect in this, too. Um, and I try to clarify for people that the group that we're with, we are not Ghostbusters. We are not spiritual cleansers. I can't tell you who is haunting your house or why. Um, I make observations. I collect data and give you honest feedback. You know, sometimes all it takes is somebody who's outside the situation, who's not afraid that it's, you know, the crazy legend ghost that, you know, all the kids told you lived in your basement, but rather it's bad plumbing. And all it sometimes takes is for them to know that they're not alone and that something has is happening there and we have oh, yeah. possible evidence of it. I mean, sometimes they just need, you know, just need to be told that they're not insane. Yeah, which, you know, with the popularity explosion of ghost hunting, um, that has to make one wonder. It's not that suddenly there are all these haunted houses. It's not that suddenly all people are having all these ghostly experiences. They've always been there, but now we're kind of getting to a different point where it is starting to be regarded as a science, where it is a more open dialogue about it. So it's kind of an exciting time to be involved in research because people aren't rolling their eyes or asking which one of us is Peter Venkman anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of coming into its own. Um, but it's not going to stay on its own if people don't do the legwork, if people don't research and read and educate themselves, mm -hmm. which is kind of the point of this podcast. Exactly. And um, more I, than anything, what we want you to take from these podcasts, don't take anything we say as gospel and say, well, you know, HPI says this, because we want you to keep an open mind. Whatever you get from our podcasts, incorporate it into your theories, incorporate it into your investigations, but don't take anything as gospel. Because in this field, there's nothing concrete. It's it's a it's all subjective. And in addition to our disclaimer that we're not experts, if anything, um, I want to have an avenue to share these, share books, to share studies, to share resources, so that we can all learn together, so that people aren't having to piece it together themselves. I remember as a kid, I had read all seven books on ghosts that were at our you know county library, and I was so hungry for more information. I'm old, so that was before the internet. But you know, now even with the internet, to kind of weed it out, to point to the the good spots to go, to take your EVPs to, um, to take your photographs to, to get feedback on, you know, because we can really benefit, you know, from a non-competitive nature, and to really kind of make um, open lines of communication between all different researchers, all different theories, 
you know, everybody coming from every different direction somewhere is the is the truth. And it's it's gonna be cracked sooner or later. It's just this is kind of a this is kind of in a, in its infancy right now, and it seems to me that it's the paranormal community is coming together a little bit better. And I think given enough time, I think there's gonna be a lot more groups working together, and there's gonna be a lot more answers found. But this is still in its infancy, so. Oh yeah. And that's one of our hopes by putting this podcast out there, that we can start a dialogue, that we can talk about the work that HPI is doing, the work that we're doing as individuals, you know, um, to talk about, you know, where I've come over the last 15 years, how my thoughts have evolved, you know, um, how Kurt's thoughts have evolved, or your experiences have changed, or, you know, just to share that information, put it out there, get people thinking, get people critical of their experiences, critical of the information that's coming in. When I say critical, I don't mean... In, in, like a skeptic in the bad well skeptic isn't a bad word but you know to just get you thinking sometimes about the cause paranormal research isn't just the hours you spend in the field it's really everything leading up to that that makes you that much more equipped to be in the field exactly so in future there's going to be future podcasts that are going to cover such topics as EVP um, the popularity of ghost hunting lately and the state of ghost hunting and paranormal groups kind of the difference between a hobby researcher and somebody who wants a career in parapsychology, um, maybe the people who are out there on faith versus, you know, the people who are out there to debunk, um, and kind of a, a state of the paranormal community address. We may have guests on the show, we might talk about some of our previous cases, and we're going to be playing some of our EVPs, so it's going to be exciting. Yeah. We're, we're new to this, we're still figuring out what we're doing, so that's kind of the purpose of this podcast. I think we did pretty good. Oh yeah. So... We look forward to uh, doing more podcasts in the future. Hope that you guys will give us a chance, um, that you'll give us some feedback. Yeah, if you agree with us, email us, let us know. If you disagree with us, email us, let us know. Where should they email us? I'm not sure yet. We'll <laughs> okay. let you know. We'll let you know. All right, so in the meantime, that's who we are, Kurt and Barry from HBI. And hold this spot for us because we'll have more exciting conversations in the future. And thank you for listening.